Lord Jesus, today we come ready to hear your word. In a few moments, we'll reflect on the words that you prayed as you prepared to endure the unthinkable for all of our sakes. We will be mindful as we hear those words and reflect on them that the problem of sin was taken care of by you as only you could do it. We will be mindful that death no longer has a hold on us because of you who defeated death, rose again according to your own power and authority over death. We will remember, Lord, in a couple of weeks how you did this and the liberty that it gives us to live our lives in hope even when things are difficult, even when disease and sorrow afflict us. We can live with hope because it doesn't end here. This is not the last part of it all. This is simply one step in a long, eternal journey with you because of the grace of God the Father through Jesus the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been born again, born into an eternal existence that transcends this physical time on earth with its sin and suffering. This gives us such hope and joy, Lord, that as we pray for one another, we accept that sometimes you will deliver us from the sickness, from the injury, from the financial burden, from the, the work problem or the social problem or the family problem. And sometimes you will let it run its course. And we are not to question your wisdom, but to say, yes, Lord, we love you and trust you in all things. And so we commit today to do that, Lord, to simply put it on the altar and leave it in your hands so that we can walk away released of our burden and filled with more faith to trust you even when your ways don't make sense to us. We cherish this relationship with you, Lord. We love you. We honor and glorify you today. We celebrate and worship because we can't help it. Having been filled with the Spirit, we seek to let that Spirit flow from us into a weary world. Make us your disciples, Lord, more faithful every day, more diligent in our service in your name, more faithful to the words you speak with us and through us, and more faithful to each other as a family made so by you as your sons and daughters through Christ. And now, Lord, we join together to close our prayer with the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today's scripture passage is the entire chapter, chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. And 
I will set that up by saying to you that these are probably the most precious words in the Bible to me. Every time I read this chapter, I read it out loud and I just marvel at the words. I, I literally experience an increase in my faith and my sense of the spirit every time I read these words. And I can't really explain it to you, but I think we're all gathered in, in the spirit in which that is best understood. <laughs> so with that being said, let's take a look now at uh, John 17 in your pew Bible. That'll be on page 1073, 1073. It'll be in the right column near the top. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled." But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have that my that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
The glory that you have given me, I gave, I've given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, and they, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I may know to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. These words are by far some of the most precious words, I think, in the whole scripture. Um... To me, they evoke a wonder and awe that is, is unique. I, I, have, uh, I have one regret about our new pew Bibles. The words of Jesus aren't in red. Because in my personal study Bible, his words are in red. And I've said for decades, I just love reading the red ink in my Bible. You know, um, And none more than those words of his prayer. He prayed for you. Did you hear that? He was praying for you. This is a portion of John's gospel that's usually referred to as the farewell discourse because John puts it just ahead of Jesus' arrest and conviction and crucifixion. Even though he doesn't talk about the Last Supper, it seems to be set in that upper room. And it looks as though the conversation is occurring as they're eating the evening meal before they actually have the Passover celebration, which is the time when Jesus is actually going to institute the new Passover, what we call the Lord's Supper. The conversation is deep. It's much different, if you think about it, than any conversation Jesus has had up to this point with the disciples. This is way beyond conversations and controversies over things like plucking the heads of grain or healing on the Sabbath. This is serious business. This is way beyond people who don't understand. This is Jesus saying that he is here to fulfill his mission from the Father, which is nothing less than to cut the head of Satan, sin, and death off the body. To end the rule of Satan over creation. This is a major, major consequential conversation Jesus is having as recorded in John. And now as he prays this prayer, his urgency is obvious, even though Jesus is aware that he'll rise again. There's a sense that, that the death and resurrection of Jesus are going to change the way the game flows from that point on, and of course we'll witness that over the next few weeks. So at this point, he has this poignant urgency that he's imparting to them. And there are two subjects that you hear him covering pretty thoroughly. When he says that the hour has come, he says that he has manifested God, more specifically to manifest God's name. 
So think back to Moses in the burning bush when Moses says to the bush, to the presence of God that he witnesses, who do I say sent me? And the voice of God says, I am. When Jesus says he has manifested the word of God, he means literally he has made real in himself the I am. Not an image of God, but God in the flesh, God present. So once again, Jesus has declared himself God. In no uncertain terms, he has talked in this passage about his existence before creation and his existence with God after his time on earth. He makes no ambiguity there. It's as clear as it can be that this is who he sees himself as, and these are his instructions to us. First, to expect trouble. While the head has been cut off, there is still plenty of evil in the world. And it won't go away overnight. There is a creation plan that includes the final destruction of evil and the final victory of God and Jesus on earth but for now, he warns you that there will be evil, that there will be the manifestation of a world that was once ruled by Satan, but is now plagued with the consequences of Satan, meaning there's sickness and disease and evil, and there will be people who hate you because you love Jesus just because it hated him even more. His other message is a message of love. And this message he repeats over and over and over again. It is absolutely amazing how many times the word love appears in the New Testament, especially in the words of Jesus. It turns out then that the I am, as it is present, as he is present in Jesus, is nothing less than the tender love song of God. Jesus is God's love song to you, to all the disciples. He makes a distinction as he speaks to the difference between the world and those whom God owns. There's a, there's a theological and doctrinal discussion in that, but we're going to save that for another occasion. Rest assured, though, that if you know him, you're okay. <laughs> That's the main thing I want you to take away today is that Jesus is here, has been here in order that he might bring those whom God desires to come home. That is the ones who were separated from God because of sin back into alignment with God. To put it another way, We've been locked out of God's house because of sin. And Jesus has unlocked the door by defeating Satan. And Jesus has led the way back to the Father's house so that we can go back home where we belong, to the place where we began, the place where we came from. Think of Eden and how God's creation was good and it pleased God, and how the man and the woman were good, and they pleased God, and then sin entered the picture, and they were cast out of Eden into the world. And this use of the world in its, in its uh, stat, uh, state in Scripture, as we read it, is, is an indication of 
this part of the created world and the created order that is not under God's control. There's a, there's a part of creation that is wild and untamed and under, un, not under God's control. And what we have done is allowed ourselves to enter into a relationship with God through Jesus, accepting that his death, his resurrection are our sign of forgiveness and grace from God the Father and an indication that we should come home, that we're welcome home now. All who are weary come home, the choir sang. This is what Jesus has made possible for you. This is who Jesus is. He is God coming to earth to find the lost and lead them back home. And this is the very essence of the prayer that Jesus prayed. He says that he wants to sanctify us the disciples, in truth. Sanctify is a word that means set apart and made holy. It is a word that we use a lot, especially in Methodist tradition, because Wesley believed that that was our primary goal in life after becoming Christians. Once we had received God's grace in a way that justifies us before God and takes away our sin, and then we receive the, God, uh, the grace of God that leads us towards sanctification. And that simply means that in the remainder of our days, after becoming followers of Jesus Christ, saved by God's grace, we would gradually or rapidly become more holy. And holiness doesn't really mean that you stop making spelling errors when you're writing or typing. It doesn't mean that you don't occasionally glide through the stop sign in Jasper or something like that. I'm never going to let that go. It doesn't mean anything like that. It just means that at some point your love is perfected in that you love as Christ loves. That's what Wesley meant by sanctification. I think for our purposes, we can simplify it and say our goal is to be more in alignment with Christ today than we were yesterday, but not as much as we will be tomorrow. That's a better way to look at sanctification. And this is a worthy goal that we can all seek to fulfill. And this is Jesus' prayer for us, so it's not enough that we should talk about achieving this, we really must pursue it because our Lord prayed that we would. I mean, it's one thing for him to say, I really wish you would do this. But for him to say in his prayer to the Father, Lord, sanctify them in truth, is, is a declaration that God should bring to bear all the power God has in order to make you sanctified. And so anything less than obedience is, is a resistance to that. It's like God is, is, you know, once God saves you and says you're no longer kicked out of the house because Jesus has taken away the penalty that you deserved and therefore you're now welcome back in the house. But listen, before you come home to live, I'd like you to improve some things. And unfortunately, many of us resist that part. We resist that invitation to personal holiness that makes us more like Christ every day. We resist that. We kind of like knowing we've got some place to go when we die, but we don't particularly like being 
in a structured, disciplined world where Christ reigns and we don't. And so unfortunately, while it is not a sin that condemns you any longer, it is nonetheless sin to resist God's will. And God, through the prayer of Jesus, wills it that you would work out your salvation every day, becoming more conformed to the image of Christ every day. This is why, towards the end of his prayer, Jesus seems to say that this is most manifest, that is, made real in real, uh, in our reality. You know, to be manifest is for something that is not part of this room right now to become part of this room. You know, if, it's, if Jesus is manifest in this room, we would see his physical appearance here. And so when he says that he's made the name of God manifest, it means he's God. You're looking at God. And in the same way, he asks us to manifest him through our love. This is his command that we would love each other. And that his love would be the love that people experience, not my love, not my imitation of his love, but his love in me expressed to you. That's a tall order. That's, that's a really tall order. And, and honestly, if you don't welcome the relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, I don't know how you can accomplish that. I couldn't. I, I can love like I think Jesus loves. You know, remember, remember those bracelets back in the 90s that said WWJD on them? You know, what would Jesus do? That's a cute idea. When I wore mine, it seemed more than anything to just get me a lot more opportunities for, for people who were begging or needing help. Say, oh, you got one of those on, you'll help me. And here's the thing. If all we're trying to do is imitate what Jesus would do, that's not bad. You know, it's not a bad place to start. But what Jesus is praying when he says that we would be sanctified in truth is that he would become the reality of our love, that we would be expressing his love more than our own. It always comes down to this. He must increase and we must decrease. So when we listen to these amazing words of Jesus, it's difficult to hear them when we really think about what he's asking or what he's saying we should do. But as we work through our salvation, living out this spiritual transformation while we are here on earth, seeking to be perfected in the image of Christ, hopefully we can look back after years and recognize the change. To recognize that he is truly making us more than the sum of our parts. Jesus' prayer gives his followers a lot to count on. A blessed hope. A reality that you almost miss because it's very short line in there. But he says in that prayer that he looks forward to the day when we might be with him in glory. And witness his glory. So there's an end game here. He's talking a lot about our life on earth after he returns to the Father, but he also says the end game is that we would be with him in glory and to witness his glory in the presence of the Father. It's an open invitation. It's more than that. It's a prayer of expectation from Jesus that we would be with him in glory. 
And so we have that to look forward to. And that right there is his promise that there's way more to this than the physical existence we experience in life. So the big question I close with today is, is, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because if you are, you have all of that to look forward to and all of that to fulfill because your master expects it. The first step is to recognize that you're a sinner and that by his righteousness you are made one with God and in harmony with God, welcome in God's household. It isn't your righteousness. It's never been about your righteousness. It's never been about uh, what church you go to, what denomination you follow. It isn't about the right way to do worship or the wrong way to do worship. It's not about any of those things. It's about Jesus' righteousness. And the fact that his righteousness stands in the breach because of my wretchedness. That's really what it comes down to. Before God, I am unwelcome in his house because I am unclean, filthy, and sinful and can't come into his house any more than my mother would have let me in the house after a day of playing outside and she'd just mop the kitchen floor. Jesus says, the only way you come in to the Father's house is to be made clean by me. My righteousness. Have you accepted that gift? Have you repented of your sin and accepted his righteousness as the delivery from your sin? And if you have, have you really... Now, this is where we have to be honest with ourselves, saints. You're saints because you've accepted that gift and that means you're assured of heaven. But... Have you accepted his authority over your life and your determination by his prayer to live a sanctified life? Here's the good news. If you have not received that gift, you are a prayer away from being of this world, in this world, but not of this world. You're a prayer away from being in this world, but not of this world. So as we wrap it up with the message today, I just want to encourage you to take a moment now in silence, which I'll end with a simple amen and pray about this. Talk to Jesus. Say what you got to say. If you need to talk to me later about it, I'm always ready. So let us silently pray for a moment.